0: What an awesome prayer. Uh, Some of the people around us are those who are sick and suffering, and there's a few in our congregation whose parents are quite sick, and uh, Sarah Bercier's uh, mother is quite ill and in the hospital, and John Latour's father, Elwin, some of you might know Elwin Latour, he's got uh, throat and lung cancer, and uh, so we just like to bring these to the Lord, it's part of our love for them right for for people who are suffering so let's pray together father we come before you today and uh, father we just pray for sarah's mom lord we just ask that you would bring comfort to her and and also to sarah and and the rest of the family lord as they are concerned and and especially to her dad lord Uh, so father we just pray that you would bring healing to her uh, that her confusion would go away uh, and that you would uh, that she would experience your love for her Uh, Father, we pray for Elwin Latour as well, Lord. We just ask, Lord, that you would redeem his health. Lord, you died on the cross so that we might have health, so that we might have life, life eternal that wells up from within us. And so, Father, we just pray that you would bless Elwin with this gift of life. Uh, Father, we pray for the whole family, Lord. We just thank you that uh, you are part of that family, Lord, and we pray that they would turn to you in, in this difficult time. And so, Father, we pray that Elwin wouldn't experience pain and suffering, but that his hope and his eyes would be on you, the, the giver of life. Father, we pray as we open up your word this morning, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive the word, Lord, that you would open up our understanding to understand the word, and, and that you would also empower us to give your word to other people, to uh to use what we hear today to use it for the advancement of your kingdom and lord i pray that you would anoint me that i might speak your word in power and in truth today for we ask this in jesus name amen well this summer we've been uh, talking about encounters with jesus and uh, we've been going through quite a number of them and um have, i don't know if you've noticed that jesus kind of has a pattern that he kind of goes through as he encounters people uh, and the pattern is often that he takes the very circumstances of the encounter and he turns it into a, a discussion that often has a sort of a mystical feeling to it, you know. Uh, the, the, the woman at the well, you know, he's talking about the water of life. And, and this kind of thing, and he, he brings this mystery into it, an intrigue. And then ultimately, he brings the, the truth of what he's saying to bear on that individual. And what happens is they start looking at themselves, and they start realizing that their life doesn't measure up, but that this one in front of them has the answer to their deepest, darkest secrets, their deepest needs. And so we have kind of a self-encounter that Jesus brings about when he encounters someone. And, and so the, the woman of well, after her encounter with herself, she says this, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I mean, she's convicted about the sin in her life. Uh, and then when Zacchaeus has an encounter with himself, what does he say? Look, Lord, here and now I give half of what I own to the poor. This is a conversion experience that this guy experienced. Why? Because he's looking at himself. He realizes that he doesn't measure up. And then they counter with the the rich man. But he goes away sad. He's encountering himself. He realizes that he's got riches above his desire for God. And it makes him sad. Because now he's got to choose between that idol of riches and god himself and this is what jesus does he kind of shines the light it's this pattern of bringing this mystery into the conversation uh, so that he could bear their souls so this is about as close to a method of personal evangelism as we're going to get with jesus it's it's not really a method. It's surely spirit-led. And if we want to follow in Jesus's footsteps and have a method of sharing a personal evangelism, I would recommend Christ's method. Don't you think that would be a good method? And so basically, Jesus relies on the Holy Spirit every time you see him, that he's using some supernatural gift in this process of reaching out to someone. So being in fresh communion with God, Father god the son and god the holy spirit is kind of a prerequisite to sharing our faith um so leaning on the holy spirit use the very circumstances of an encounter with someone to bring in a mysterious aspect to it and then shine the spotlight on the person and show them that they don't measure up to god in some way and that they need this mysterious person jesus christ uh, They need to see who they really are. In our encounter story today, Jesus again masterfully uses this message to reach into a man's heart and, I believe, save him. For all eternity, it's found in in John chapter three. If you want to look it up, it's probably the most well known encounter, and I've called this the the after dark encounter. Uh, it sounds kind of mysterious, uh, but most of you know the encounters with Nicodemus. It's uh, very popular. In fact, the most popular verse in the entire Bible is found in this story, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that who should ever Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, God uses this verse powerfully all across the globe. Millions, probably, possibly billions have been affected by this verse. Uh, My own journey to salvation and to get to know Jesus Christ was deeply influenced by this verse. My mom shared it with me when I was worried about going to hell and she shared with me this verse that promises eternal life to anyone who believes uh, and so our story opens with this clear description of this guy named nicodemus i think we got it up on the screen here there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a member of the jewish ruling council council um, now clearly this guy was quite something i mean he had made it to the top he's he's a pharisee for one thing this is a very religious person um and he didn't just have friends in high places he was the guy in high places you know he was on the jewish ruling council and i love the way john puts this there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus what why didn't john just say there was this pharisee named nicodemus why does he say of the pharisees there's this sense that john is is playing on this idea that this man is part of a bigger community. It's not just that he was a Pharisee. He's with that whole group of people called Pharisees. Um, And uh, the emphasis is not on the individual man, Nicodemus. The emphasis is on him being part of this bigger community, Uh, this close-knit group of meticulously religious people. You see, the Pharisees were a lot like evangelicals today. See, they believed that the Old Testament, the the scriptures that they had, was inspired by God, and that they weren't supposed to just follow it letter by letter, but they were supposed to take what was in the scriptures, the, the ideas of the scriptures, and then apply them to their own lives and live by those principles they found in the scriptures. Unlike the Sadducees, which felt like, no, you just need to obey the actual written Laws. You don't have to go any further than that. That's it. No, the Pharisees felt it very important to apply the principles found in the scriptures to our lives. Very very similar to what evangelicals do today. Uh, But Nicodemus wasn't just a member of this austere group called the Pharisees. He was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was kind of like the creme de la creme, if I could say that right, (laughs) if you please. Note the emphasis on the inclusive membership of this exclusive uh, uh, group. He isn't introduced so much as a bigwig, but as part of the community of bigwigs. The emphasis is really on the community. Uh, The Jewish ruling council was also called the Sanhedrin, uh, and it's derived from a Greek word meaning assembly or council, Um, and it dates from the Hellenistic times, but actually, it dates way further back than that where and it's grounded right in the scriptures themselves in Deut- uh, numbers numbers chapter 11 where god commands moses bring me 70 of israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people and have them come to the tent of meeting and they will stand there with you and so and then there's also a commands to appoint leaders and so uh, the the jews of jesus day had a council of 70 members and one high priest just the same as back here in moses day 71 members uh, and so the great sanhedrin was the Jew, basically the jewish supreme court now the, of course the jewish supreme court was the jews at this time were under roman rule so they 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 had a lot of authority but they didn't have the final authority over You know who who gets uh, executed and that kind of stuff Uh, that was the romans but they had a lot of authority and the romans let them do their religious thing and so they had a lot of uh authority they they met in the temple courts every day except religious festivals and sabbath days otherwise they were the ruling party so the emphasis on him being part of this select group kind of runs through this whole encounter and if you look in john 3 you'll see Uh, that that Nicodemus starts his speech with saying, we, Rabbi, we know that you're from God. Well, who's the we he's referring to? Well, he's referring to those two groups previously mentioned, the Pharisees and the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Um, And he he includes these groups as part of his remarks. Um, You see, he's all wrapped up in his associations and his status he's a man of status and jesus response also acknowledges those very people that he's talking about um, in verse 11 jesus responds and he says still you people do not accept our our testimony who's he talking about he's talking about the pharisees they don't accept christ's testimony i've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe how will then Will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? You know, I, I've highlighted all the you's in this, this verse. And I, the reason I highlighted them is because in English, we don't get the real clear picture because we're used to seeing you as more individualistic than group. But all of these are plural in the Greek. He's talking about when he says you, you how will you believe when I speak to you of heavenly things? He's talking about the whole group of Pharisees. He's not just talking about Nicodemus. Um, and the, the point is that Nicodemus's identity is all wrapped up with his association with these powerful people. That's really who he is. Uh, to make it to this exalted place that, that Nicodemus has come to, he would have to be a very pious man. He would have to be a very respected man amongst his peers amongst the pharisees and he he would have to be very scholarly and so likely he was also wealthy uh likely people looked up to him neighbors would have idolized him look at nicodemus what a great guy you know he's you know leading the the country he's he's doing all this cool stuff he's influential and powerful now it's not a secret that people in high places are prone to pride and self-importance, aren't they? Do you know anyone like that? <laughs> we could probably name a few people. I don't want to say any names today. But Nicodemus is kind of presented in a little bit of a different light in this passage. It's, he's not sort of the usual Pharisee who makes long prayers so that people will like him, grow, makes long his phylacteries uh, and just to impress people. Rather, Nicodemus is portrayed as someone genuinely interested in Jesus Christ. And he certainly didn't think Jesus' power came from the devil, as some of his colleagues have accused Jesus uh, of doing. Uh, Rather, Nicodemus comes and he compliments Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God we're not with him. So we see this genuine interest in Jesus, and he's anxious to know more about Jesus. And I I get the feeling that he's got some heavy-duty questions he wants to ask Jesus. Uh, But he's also anxious to avoid giving the impression that he's a follower of Jesus. So what does the text say? He came to him at night. You see, he's a little afraid that his colleagues are going to find out that he's hobnobbing it with Jesus. And nobody wants, you know, all of his colleagues, or a lot of them, are uh, quite against Jesus. Quite jealous of Jesus' following. Uh, And Nicodemus includes all those people who are against Jesus when he says, We know that you've come from God. Nicodemus, I think you're a little mistaken there. I think a lot of the the Pharisees did not know that Jesus came from God. But in their hearts, maybe they did, eh? Maybe they did in their hearts, like Nicodemus. So this influential man secretly comes to express his beliefs about Jesus to Jesus. You know, it's almost a statement of faith. We believe you've come from God. But Jesus, rather than being flattered by this leading rabbi, you know, this very influential man... He recognizes Nicodemus's situation. Jesus recognizes that Nicodemus has a self-importance uh, problem, a pride for being in such elite groups and it's interesting to note that the verse immediately before our story, the verse found in the previous chapter um, chapter two says Jesus did not, in, not, did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. So with Nicodemus coming to him, Jesus knows what's in his heart. He knows where Nicodemus' biggest problem lies. Now I'm supposing, and I think I'm probably supposing right, that it was a sense of pride and entitlement and uh, being popular. Um, and so Jesus is aware of this need, and he's going to put his finger on that problem in nicodemus's life but he's also aware that nicodemus appears to be a genuine seeker and we can assume that nicodemus was about to ask jesus something maybe he was like the the uh, a rich young ruler you know wanting to know how you get eternal life We're not sure. Maybe he was like some of the other Pharisees that wanted to trick Jesus. (laughs) We're not sure. give him a tough question. Uh, Maybe he was like some of the other uh, Pharisees that that wanted Jesus to enter the discussion uh, about theological topics of the day, like what's the greatest commandment in the Bible, this kind of thing. We're not really sure. Uh, But one of the things we can be pretty sure about is that Nicodemus himself was looking for the kingdom of God. This is a Uh, a thing that the pharisees did they were looking for the kingdom of god to be established on earth and it's very possible that nicodemus was looking to jesus and wondering is he going to inaugurate the kingdom of god here on earth is this the time of the kingdom uh, he was quite sure that he would be able to enjoy the blessings of, his, of the kingdom of, of God because he himself was a Jew and he was a Pharisee. So he he was quite sure that his good works, his loving devotion to the word of God and to the things of God would enter him into that kingdom um, and his loyalty the, to the Pharisee traditions. But as soon as Nicodemus pays this compliment to Jesus, Jesus immediately cuts out from under nicodemus the very ground of self-satisfied observance of the law and says well if you want to enter the kingdom of god you got to be born again nicodemus is a little confused by this particular statement Uh, you see basically what jesus was getting at was nicodemus you, you think you're righteous you think you're holy but really you need To be born again. Now, now some people think that, oh, this is just a very confusing thought given to Nicodemus. But, you know, in the Jewish traditions, that Gentiles coming into the Jewish faith were supposed to be uh, made new. And so the sense of being born again was already within the culture a little bit. And so uh, Nicodemus, uh, we're not sure if he just didn't understand or if he just wanted to be belligerent and just point out that it's ridiculous. Uh, We're not sure. But Jesus was pointing out that no matter what your race, no matter what your stature, no matter what your devotion to God, there's one thing that all people need to enter into the kingdom of God, and that's for God's Spirit to reveal the kingdom to them and cause them to be born again. You can't get to the kingdom of God without that. And this was very mysterious to poor Nicodemus. He's just like, what? Remember I talked about Jesus uses mystery to draw them in. And I'm telling you, Nicodemus just grabbed a hold of that hook, line, and sink here. He's just was like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> so he he just did not know. Um, it was It was actually a lot. What Jesus was saying here was actually a lot like his encounter with the kids. When Jesus said, I tell you. The truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You know, the Pharisees thought that their brilliant learning, their study of the word of God, that's what gave them entry. You know, being in this this temple every week, uh, studying the Bible all the time, praying all the time, that's what's going to enter, get them into the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, 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 you can be like a little kid. It's actually little kids that are entering into the kingdom. That's how you have to enter, not, not like a learned scholar. So confusing for the people of Jesus' day. To be born again is to come completely empty-handed, not having anything that you rely on. It's abandonment of every type and possibility of relying on your own goodness to get into the kingdom. You know, we can't do things for ourselves, but rather it's an acceptance of the free gift of eternal life that Jesus hands out to people um, and so it's it's a spirit it's an experience that can be likened a lot to physical birth you know you emerge when you're born you emerge from the darkness into the light and you open your eyes and there's a whole new world waiting for you out there you emerge from restriction and confinement to freedom and this is like becoming a christian this is like uh being born again uh spiritually but of course nicodemus for all his theological learning just kind of missed the boat on this one and he lacks the spiritual insight to know what jesus is talking about i would probably too i'd probably just look at jesus like what are you talking about and that's what he does he says how can someone be born when they're old nicodemus says surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born i mean he's just saying jesus you said something just really absurd there you know it just doesn't make any sense uh so jesus starts to explain he says very truly i tell you no one can enter into the kingdom of god unless he's born of the water and the spirit flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with anyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is using some interesting terminology here. And you know what? It's still a mystery to this day what he's talking about. When you talk to to theologians about what does he mean by um, born of water and Spirit, water, many theologians believe that that's the water of baptism. But many others say, no, 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 that's a reference to birth, the natural birth process. You know, the, the fluid in the womb and all that. That's, that's that's So if Nicodemus was confused, well, people are still confused about it. Um, but I think it, it does refer to the natural birth. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, he points that out. And so he's pointing out that Nicodemus, this is a spiritual matter. I'm not just talking about physical stuff here. And then as an illustration, he talks about the wind. And wind you can see the effects of it on a calm day you can see the the leaves just kind of fluttering in the wind and on a not so calm day you can see houses all ripped to shreds and laying in pieces and you kind of go like oh yeah there was a wind here maybe a cyclone or a tornado or a hurricane or something (laughs) but you can see the effects of the wind and jesus is saying it's the same thing with the spirit when the Spirit enters into a person and causes them to be born again, you can see the effects. You'll know that they're born of the kingdom of God. And um, But it's a bit mysterious. Where does wind come from? Back then, I mean, nobody had any idea what caused wind. Now, nowadays, we say, blame it on global warming and all kinds of things. But back then, they had no clue. And that's what Jesus was pointing out. We don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit. But He's a mystery. And this mystery is trying to explain and then nicodemus again says how can this be he's just like saying i don't get it i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) like come again Uh, and jesus it almost sounds like jesus is rebuking nicodemus but i don't think he is the rebuke comes later right here i think he's pointing out something very powerful and so i'm just going to read it and then, uh, then i'll show you what i mean jesus says you're Israel's teachers, and you do not understand these things? Verily, truly, I say unto you, we speak of things that we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you about earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So as I said, it's easy to think this, this is a rebuke. But actually, I think this is where jesus starts to point out nicodemus's associations he's starting to say to nicodemus nicodemus you're with them not with us okay and i want to point this out what look at the next slide see all the yellow marks these are jesus saying i and we the disciples and me kind of thing and all the red marks that's you guys in other words nicodemus comes to jesus professes that he comes from god but jesus clearly says sorry buddy you're not part of us you're still with them and even though he confesses that jesus came from god jesus is very clear he says you're not on our side yet you're still on their side you see it there it's pretty clear like it's just like yeah, we testify these things with, with uh, but but you people don't accept our testimony. It's it's pretty clear. Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you say I came from heaven, you say I came from God, but here you are in the middle of the night, secretly meeting with me, says you don't want your buddies to find out. You see the problem with this? And Jesus is pointing right at this problem with Nicodemus, that that he wants to soft-pedal Jesus. He just wants a little bit more information. I'm curious. It's perked my interest. But I'm not ready to commit. I mean, I'm with the bigwigs. You're some itinerant preacher. Yeah, you do a lot of miracles. It's really got me confused. I'm really like, I, I believe you came from God, but I'm not ready to wreck my life over you. That's essentially what's going on here, um, and 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 this kind of reminds me of Jesus's words in other places in the scriptures, where Jesus says, uh, "Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever is not against us is for us." So Nicodemus, make up your mind: Are you with us or are you against us? Like, what's it going to be? Um, and so do you see how Jesus is holding up the mirror, Nicodemus. Look at yourself. You say I've come from God, but you're here in the middle of the night. You know, look at yourself. Look what you're doing. You're on the. You're not not with us. You're against us. Get it right. Uh, and I, I get this feeling that Nicodemus at this point he's still confused. He's like got this question mark on his face. And Jesus decides, okay, well we'll make it a little clearer. And praise God that he does because he gives one of the clearest explanations of the gospel in the entire in the entire book and it's just amazing what he says he says this and just as moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life now to us maybe that statement's not clear but to nicodemus it was like very very clear nicodemus knew, knows his old testament forwards backwards inside out everything he knows what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about this event that happened in the wilderness when the children of Israel were wandering around the wilderness and they had sinned and they had disobeyed God and they had grumbled against God and God decided to send venomous snakes among them. And the snakes were biting people and they were dying. And so God comes along and says, Moses, make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole and plant it out there where the Israelites can see it and whoever looks at that snake... That bronze snake on the pole will be healed from their snake bite. They won't die. And so the Israelites started doing it. You know, they got a snake bite and they go and they look at the bronze cost and all of the venom disappears out of their bloodstream. Very strange. It's kind of weird that he would use the very thing that was attacking them to put on the pole. But my friends, this is what Jesus is talking about. The fact is, the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us when he was nailed to the cross. So in other words, the very thing that, we, that bites us, sin, that leaves us uh, going on our way to hell, really, that very thing is the thing that Jesus becomes for us. He takes all that sin upon himself. And just like it's it's almost like a vaccine, you know, like you, you know when when they when they inject you with the vaccine, what they're really doing is they're they're infecting infecting you with a bit of dormant disease, and that seems to cure you. And so it's the very thing that that you're trying to get away from is the thing that we need, and we need to recognize that the, that Jesus became sin for us. Now he didn't do any sin. It's called the. <laughs> us theologians we call it the the law of of, um oh no i forgot the word (laughs) uh, what is it (laughs) yeah that word (laughs) Uh, It's not the word i'm looking for actually (laughs) anyways it means that imputation is that what you were saying oh thank you because people were saying two different words at once and I couldn't quite get it. Yes, it is the word imputation. So in other words, the sin be, was imputed to Christ, and those who believe in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed back to them. Imputed means it's it's given to you even though it's not part of you. It's just it's it's a theological term that we use. So Christ became sin for us, died on the cross. And then Um, the most powerful verse in all the scriptures really Um, it's a direct setup for christ's infamous verse for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life pretty popular verse Uh, i mean we all love this promise of eternal life right Uh, that's found in jesus christ and we're drawn to this promise that we won't perish, but we'll have eternal life. And all we got to do is believe. And it's almost too simple. And sometimes as Christians, it becomes benign. And we just say, oh yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. Uh, it's kind of bookish. But sometimes I believe we need to go back and recognize what Jesus is saying. He's, he, this verse is, is preceded by the verse we just talked about. Next slide the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him jesus is talking about his death on the cross and just like the israelites have to look to that snake on that stick so we have to look to jesus to be able to heal it's just a pure belief but it it means something more than just belief and jesus is going to get into this with nicodemus in the next verses uh, the next, next verses also add clarity to the gospel. Um, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Awesome verse. I love that. Jesus didn't come to d- condemn anyone. He didn't come to condemn Nicodemus. He came to save Nicodemus. Uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of of, of God's one and only Son. Jesus is basically saying, Nicodemus, you've got to make a choice here, buddy. You know, you think you're righteous before God. But there's only one one thing that makes you righteous before God. That's believing in me. Believing that I'm going to be on a cross, dying for your sins. Um... And that God is going to save the world through me. If you believe that, then you're saved. But if you don't believe that, you're condemned. All of that righteousness that you do, all the Phariseeism, all the laws that you kept, they're not going to keep you from being condemned. Whoa, talk about clear gospel message, eh? (laughs) It's just like, boom, black and white. You believe or you don't believe uh you're saved or you're not saved um it's a choice nicodemus are you going to believe or not now the last part of this passage the next three verses verse uh, 19 through 21 i always found them to be out of place and confusing i always thought like jesus you've already you've already crescendoed the great message of the gospel you've said that you're going to hang on a cross and we have to look to you and believe in you and we'll be saved and if you don't believe uh, if you do believe you're saved if you don't believe you're condemned because you didn't believe i mean it's just a great crescendo and then he it's like oh well let's backpedal a little bit this is the verdict light has come into the world but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's almost like Jesus says, you know, he sets up all of salvation, and then he says, yeah, yeah, but people aren't going to believe because they like dark things. They they like evil. So they're just not going to do it. And I always thought, like, wow. Why do you say this, Jesus? Now I realize, as I look through this passage and studied it this week, I realize what Jesus is doing, he's doing what he did with all the other people that he had encounters with. He's using the very um, nature of the encounter to point out the problem. He's use, using the darkness that, that Nicodemus has come under. He's like, this 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 isn't connected to other people. This is connected to Nicodemus. And and. He, it's at night (laughs) it's so easy to forget that part and it is in the darkness that he's come to jesus and jesus says these words to him and he's he's like putting his finger right on nicodemus's heart what are you doing here nicodemus why in the dark don't you realize that all kinds of evil things happen in the dark it's not in the light in other words what he's saying to nicodemus is dude you're so concerned about your standing in society that you have to you have to you know be quiet about your wanting a relationship with me that's backwards my friend that's upside down it's either you want a relationship with me and that's the most important relationship you got or nothing there's no hide hide you know shyness about this one or the other um, you know to illustrate This verse. So can we leave it up there just for a minute? Um, My son went to college uh, in uh, York University, and he was living with uh, six other guys in this dorm, uh, or this house, basically, just close to the university. Six others or eight other guys. I'm not sure. There's a lot of guys in this apartment, right? And, you know, guys, first time away from home, they're not particularly clean. And uh, anyways, one night, Jason is like, he's studying late, and everybody's asleep, and it 's dark, the whole apartment 's dark, except for in his room and uh, and he decides i want i 'm going to go grab something out of the fridge and he walks into the kitchen, he flicks on the light, and there is movement in the whole room, like the whole room seems to be vanishing into the crevices. <laughs> you know what it is, of course, right cockroaches <laughs> and they 're just like he 's like ah what 's going on you know <laughs> he 's freaking out and he Uh, And, you know, this happens night after night. And he starts, like, contacting the landlord and trying to get his roommates to clean up and all this kind of stuff. But this is kind of like what Jesus is talking about here, right? The deeds of darkness love the darkness. And they run away from the light. And, you know, when Jesus comes along, he's the light. And the immediate reaction that a lot of people have is, Oh my goodness, he's going to see how evil I am. He's going to find out the deep, dark recesses of my life. And they scurry away like cockroaches. They just, ah, I'm getting out of here. The light has come. And Jesus, and they don't realize that Jesus wants to comfort. You know, I, I'm sure that Jason didn't want to comfort the cockroaches. Don't take the illustration too far. <laughs> but they don't realize that Jesus has come to, to save us, to not condemn us, to bring us into the light, to give us freedom, to give us new birth, to give us new life. They think, oh, I want he's just going to pour judgment on me for doing bad, for for being the way I am. You know, I can't help it being this way. And I I sin, and I got lust in my life, and I got this problem and that problem in my life. And I, you know, and he's going to bring judgment. And he's, no, that's not why I came. I came to die for your sins so that you could find freedom and have a relationship with God so how did this end well you know what we're never told what what Nicodemus decided or how he responded the, the, the story just ends but we have some clues <laughs> some really interesting clues you see this one time Jesus was teaching in the temple and the chief priests in the San, of the Sanhedrin they are they like uh, let's go arrest jesus and so they send soldiers out from their number to go arrest him and the soldiers start listening to what jesus has to say and they're like overwhelmed they're just like whoa and they go back to the sanhedrin and they say where's jesus and they're like no one ever spoke like this man and the sanhedrin are an uproar and they're just like what have you become followers of this galilean are you kidding us don't you you know you guys know nothing we are the we are the keepers of the law we know this man's not from god and guess who speaks up nicodemus he says is it right for our law to condemn a man before he's had a trial And this is the first inkling that Nicodemus heard what Jesus was saying. That he got what Jesus was saying. That he had to start standing up for the truth amongst his friends, amongst his peers, amongst the ones that are going to ridicule him. And ridicule them, they did. They immediately responded, are you kidding me? Have you become a follower of this Galilean? Check the scriptures and see no prophet comes from Galilee. I mean, they just heaped it on him. Well, there's another clue. In later on in chapter 19 of John, when Joseph of Arimathea, the rich guy, he comes to collect Christ's body and carry it away, it says that, um, that Nicodemus was also there. He's the one that supplied the 75 pounds of spices and myrrh to wrap Jesus up in. I have a feeling that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Nicodemus was like, this is exactly what he said was going to happen. he was going to be on a pole. Oh my goodness. And my friends murdered him. The people, I'm a part of the Sanhedrin. We condemned him to death. And he was, I'm sure he was just overcome. And I'm sure when, when he rose from the dead, then Nicodemus put his faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that all these stories that we have about Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus at night, I believe Nicodemus told John about this stuff because he was now a believer. Uh, anyways, we can push that one way or the other. There are various opinions. But it's all beside the point because we're kind of like the cockroaches, right? Jesus comes along, and we're like, "Ah, no, I don't want to deal with that. I don't, you know, I want to, I want to hide my sin. I want to go into the dark crevices. I don't want Jesus finding out who I really am. Because when Jesus comes, what does He do? He, he He holds up the mirror. You want an encounter with Me? Have an encounter with yourself. Look at the problems there. If you come to Me, I will fix those problems." I will wash you. I will make you new. And I will have a relationship with you. And you can go from being you people to we with Jesus. I don't know if maybe you've never heard a message like this before, but Jesus is concerned about your soul. And He's concerned about the sin in your life. And He doesn't want you to run away and crawl into some hole and disappear. He wants you to acknowledge the problem and then turn to him and say okay i will devote my life to you in front of my friends in front of my colleagues i don't care if i get laughed at i don't care if what come my way i'm i'm going to be a follower of jesus christ if you'd like to be that person who follows him and and has eternal life i look at i'm just going to lead us in a prayer and uh, through the years I've discovered that people pray this prayer and later on they come and tell me It takes them a little while to get bold like Nicodemus at the end of his life I don't know if Nicodemus had, was surrounded by the other Pharisees when he was wrapping up Christ's body and taking it to the tomb it's like he shed that that worry he just wanted to do what was right you can do what's right today and ask Christ into your heart confess that you're a sinner and ask him to come And be with you forever so if that's your desire let's just pray together dear lord jesus thank you for becoming sin for me thank you that you took my sin upon yourself and then were judged and died that horrible cruel death in my stead so thank you lord jesus i put my faith in you just like The Israelites looked at the snake. I look to you now, Lord Jesus, and believe that you died for me, that you came from heaven. And Lord, I'm willing to announce it to the world. I don't want to keep it my little secret. I want to live for you from now on. And so I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come into my heart, wash away all that is evil, cleanse me of all that, and make me new. Lord, I pray that you would put your spirit in me so that you would help me become that new person I want to be. I want to be that new person for you who acknowledges you before people, who's willing to be mocked and ridiculed. Lord, I want that to be me. So I pray that you would come into me by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. If you truly believe that, jesus has come into your heart you might not feel any different right now or maybe you will i don't know a lot of people feel a massive difference other people nothing until later they find out oh god's working in me Uh, but i want to encourage you if you did that today if you prayed that prayer in your heart tell someone that you know is a christian don't keep it hidden there (laughs) don't be like Nicodemus. you need to make that step from one side to the other and say i'm with jesus now I have asked Him into my heart. Worship team, come and lead us in our final song.